0: explores the saga of women in China as it pertains to their history of being forced into oppressive marriages as well as forbidden to read or write by their households for thousands of years. To cope, they developed and shared a secret language among themselves called nushu. Written in poems or songs with bamboo pens and paper-folded fans and handkerchiefs, these hidden letters bonded generations of Chinese women in a clandestine support system of sisterhood, hope, and survival. We're joined today by the director of this wonderful documentary film, and that would be Violet Dufeng. Violet, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Mike.
0: Thank you so much for being here. This is a film that has such a quiet power to it that builds over the course of the film. We start out essentially coming to understand a little bit about this written language. But by the end of it, it's about so much more than that. Tell me a little bit about what put you on to doing this project.
1: I was born and raised in China, and I was born and raised in a time when communists, communism is really pushing for gender equality. And my mom is the generation who is the first generation medical staff in a family who benefit tremendously from that push and me too, that I was raised mostly by my musician dad, because my mom was takes such pride in her profession. And so my dad always pushed me to dream as high as, as I can, even higher than boys. And so I was coming up from that era. And then that leads me to coming to the U.S. for higher education. But by 2010, I moved back to China after made uh, a couple of films. And that was a time that I moved back and I got married and have my 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 daughter, and uh, became a mother, and instantly I start to feel the shift in the society of how that put tremendously more pressure on women in every regard, economically, politically, and also reproductively. And I feel confused in a lot of ways. And as a woman, and also I, I I realize it's not just me; it's my whole generation, or even the younger generation, who are experiencing this. And then some some of that contributed to the revival of. You know the traditional culture that's going on in China. And part of it is also, I, I realize, is how capitalism plays a role in unbalancing the gender equality in a way. And so I felt like I was trapped and stuck in this, and I very much want to find a way to talk about this. But in China back then, and I think very much still now, that gender inequality is not something you can really talk about. And feminism is even kind of a bad word still in Chinese language. And when my two producers approached me to make a film about Nishu, my instant reaction is that I don't want to make a history film. But if there's a way I can tie the history with women's experiences and what's going on in China today, then that's a film I want to make. And that became the concept and the development of Hedaloters.
0: Did you know of this language before? How did you find out about it?
1: So I knew about this language thanks to Lisa See's wonderful novel um, that I read about 17 years ago called Snowflower and a Secret Fan and it was published in the U.S. as an uh, English-speaking novel and it's based on Nishu. and I remember reading it after I, I finished my graduate school at Berkeley and instantly I was drawn to the story and I also felt a sense of embarrassment that as a Chinese woman growing up in China, this is not part of our history that I know about, and it should be. So it left a really powerful impact on me of this book. But I I didn't know that it still exists today. Um, So that was when, you know, fast forwarding to 2017, when I started researching the film, and, and I realized that there's still a component of how it's trying to be rev- revived in a way, but also co opted in a way. But there's still ex- existence of Hu and that made me really fascinated to be drawn into how do I tie that with the woman who are practicing it and how they're experiencing where they are as women in today's China.
0: Chinese script, in to kind of putting it in a, a Western context, are not letters as much as they are symbols of of ideas or or concepts is that right
1: yeah so the chinese language is very much a, a very ancient uh language that's based on images of you know how for example an animal like a dog is perceived uh, visually and that's how translated to the character of chinese and i think nu shu has a similar kind of way of symbol And to me, like every character, it's sort of like the shape of a female body, which is really beautiful visually. But the trace of this particular language has many rumors, so there's no uh, like a, a clear identification of where the origin of Nushu started from, because um, the earliest record you could find was about 400 years ago. But actually, there has been anthropologists talk talking about it that it could be traced like maybe thousands of years ago. So who knows? But it's a completely different written language from from traditional Chinese, completely different.
0: In the film, it appears in the context of women sharing stories amongst themselves beyond the gaze of of men, of of the power structure, if you will. Is do you know if that was always the intent or the the origin story for it, or is that something that evolved over time?
1: The intent was said to I mean, not to have men understand it, but also because women would deny rights of education in future society. And also, like you have to understand, I think, in the Chinese ancient history, that there is very little record of female literature because women would deny rights of education. And it's only accessible to the elite class of women who are born into wealthy or higher status families. And because of that, you have almost no record of women from lower income or who are living more on the bottom of society to leave any trace of their experiences in Chinese history. Um, but, but here, because of the ex- existence of Niu Shu, which is such a powerful thing that every woman there, not only had poems that they communicate with their swan sisters. They also every one of them also has a biography book uh, that's written by their swan sisters, at least one, and it documented their life. It documented how much sufferings they gone through. It documented the love between um, their sisterhood and and how they're dearly loved by their swan sisters. So and then every one of these biography book will be burned when that woman died. Um, oh my god. Yeah so and and you know all of that is is beyond one's imagination that it even existed in feudal society when China was a completely different structure than where it is now
0: It's amazing that it it has lasted it lasted through all of the Absolutely. hardships that you're describing
1: Well it it did kind of die out for a while especially after the revolution um, in China after 1949. Um, partially because, you know, as I mentioned in the film, uh, during the Great Leap Forward time when gender equality was very much pushed and all the girls and all the women, no matter how old are you, um, were um, mandatory to to learn read and write in, in Chinese. So, you know, even people in these remote areas are introduced to uh, Chinese for the first time for all of these women. So that's part of why that it kind of started to lose its function after that. But also during the Cultural Revolution, um, ironically, these women who practice mushu were treated like ghosts. So they they hide of their writings, they burn all their writings, and then they kind of kept quiet of they actually know the language. So that actually also wiped out, you know, the existence of Nushu for the longest time. And it was until, I think, 1980s, There's this low-level bureaucrat who was a propaganda officer who accidentally kind of rediscovered the existence of language. And there's still a few women who were able to practice it. So that's how it got back into the public eyes. And all of a sudden, all the press and anthropologists and journalists and everybody came, you know, um, to to capture this and today this is the only gender-based language still existing in the world
0: just an amazing story just a, <laughs> what you outlined there is just incredible and it comes across in the film because of the reverence that we see there's two of the primary people that we focus on in the film Hu Xin and Heria Qing
1: is the last living master and the then, last
0: living master
1: and then Simu is the girl from the city
0: in the girl from the city, exactly. And yeah. we, we but but the relationship between Hu Xin and and uh Her Yeah is just I mean it's so beautiful. It's so it's it's beyond words w- watching them together as they get to know each other and and they share. It's just a beautiful part of the film and it's, uh, it's it's the heart of the film for me.
1: It's it's also a really important part because to me, that's the real essence of the legacy of Nishu. Um, I wanted to really emphasize that Nishu is just not just a language, but it's a very intentionally well thought out structure of sisterhood. And it's a culture that was built around the sisterhood that these women created. Um, I wanted to share with you the structure, actually, how well thought out it was like for a yeah. little girl when she started Bound Feet, despite of whatever your socioeconomic class, um, the girl's parents will match make. you know, their daughter with a girl of born in the same year. And they will have sort of like a ritual and they will exchange vows and they will... The vows will say that, you know, they will lift up each other for the rest of their life to support each other. And since that day, and it can be actually more than two girls, right? And it can be like multiple girls that they build this bond with. And then since that day, they will be spending all their time in a chamber room, writing usual, learning usual, singing songs, and then doing embroideries and then building their relationship together, all the way till the woman arranged to get married usually to a a different kind of village that's too far for her to travel back uh, because there's no transportation back then. And so so the wedding gift, as I mentioned to you, is these biography books that every one of her swan sister will write to her. And the more a biography book this bride received, the more she'll be treated better from her husband's future village. Again, there's this structure that on the third day after this bride is married into her husband's family, all the women in that new village will gather together in the room and start chanting these biography books written about this bride. And in these biography books, as I mentioned, it will be written about how wonderful this woman is, how much suffering she has gone through, and how much she will be dearly missed by her sisters back home. And because of these writings, and it connects to the woman in every different every way, you know, these new women. So they instantly took her in as their new sister. And then that relationship will last until she died. Wow. So I very much wanted to capture the essence of the power of those sisterhood. And I think that essence of power is to allow these women to be honest with each other and then allow them to, to be their true self. You know, in those days, it's allowing them to express the unbearable sufferings that they have. And otherwise, they would just have been suppressed internally of all those experiences. But because of Nishu, they have a space, you know, like that. And eventually, that collectiveness will build power from within. And little by little, they even start to change the narrative, um, you know, of the entire gender kind of cultural in this in this territory. So I find it super, super like powerful and amazing. And I very much wanted to capture that essence through the relationship with Hu Xing and Hu Yixing, because that's exactly how Hu Xing is passing down her resilience and her resistance in Yushu to Hu Xing. And that's just the most beautiful thing. You know, thinking about that generation who actually the context of where she grew up from and the sufferings that she had to bear but she was able to come out as such a fearless you know woman and particularly even from that generation of resisting her own arranged marriage and all of that and now as Xing is struggling in her own personal life and how he is transferring her legacy of what she understand of what you should give to her to Xing. and that's just to me is the most beautiful and powerful thing it is
0: it is this film has such power it is such a and i said it i think i said it at the beginning a quiet power in it and it's all about what you just described the the, the relationships the bonding that they they have with one another and this tirelessness about Xian as she moves out into the world with the hopes of bringing this to more and more people and met with resistance, institutional resistance, cultural resistance, personal resistance. It's a nice hobby. You've got to get on with the rest of your life. We hear everything. You're never going to make any money doing this. Why are you doing all of the things? And she is so grounded in this relationship and this understanding with the language and the importance of it it just takes my breath away to watch her and the way that she and here using are able to continue this and I love that the scenes near the end of the film I um, hope I'm not giving too much away but when she's written something and uh Har corrects it or or just that that little that scene of them together is uh it just uh it's remarkable it really is I just you. It's a beautiful film to look at. You did a wonderful job with the look of it in the cinematography, and uh, it kind of snuck up on me, you know? And then by the end of the film, it's just uh, exceedingly powerful. Thank you
1: for saying that. I'm going to pass that on to my subjects, and it'll be really happy to hear.
0: <laughs> We're speaking with co-director of this wonderful documentary film called Hidden Letters, and that would be Violet Dufeng. And um be looking for it the website is hiddenlettersfilm.com and you can find out more about it all of it uh there. Well, and as we see as Hushin um, moves through the film, there is a a bonding with a lot of women over the course of the film getting together and this is hopeful. it is it strikes a hopeful tone in the film that there is a realization that life can be better. we don't necessarily have to follow all of these these cultural traditions, and we, we are forging a new path forward. Is that is that something you're hopeful will be happening? Or in your mind, how is that playing out?
1: I think that it's not a simple answer. And I think there's always hope. And there's always hope because we have our sisterhood. And I think that's fundamentally why we should have hope. But, you know, the hope is always coupled with the ongoing suppressions, the ongoing struggles internally that we have as women um, dealing with all of these expectations, all of these confinement internally. So I think I'm cautiously hopeful, but at the same time, I am hopeful.
0: The film, again, is called Hidden Letters, and we've been joined today by the co-director, and that would be Violet Defang. Violet Defang, thank you so very much for your work and for your time today.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thank you for speaking to me and watching the film.
0: You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films.